we're trying to build companies that reflect our values that are here to heal in some ways ourselves and then ultimately be a healing place for our clients, our staff, and then finally for like the earth that we're living on. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker. Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, join me on a trip to the unceded territory of the Sandia Pueblos in New Mexico. I'm sitting down with Vanessa Roanhorse to talk about the indigenous worldview, how it might inform our approach to thinking in systems, and what exhausts her about being asked to show up as an indigenous female entrepreneur and educator. Let's go! If I were to come to your ecosystem for the very first time, where would you take me? Well, uh, we would start at my house, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on Tiwa lands in right in an area called Old Town, which is uh, which has been historically the sort of knockoff Santa Fe kind of southwestern uh, Native American cowboy district, which often tends to sell terribly manufactured um, fake native jewelry and other types of products. There are really great stores where they do sell real stuff. But as you can imagine, that sort of um, dreamy ways in which people think of New Mexico, they often picture Santa Fe, they picture Pueblo-like structures, they imagine folks selling jewelry. There's just sort of this historical romanticized idea of what New Mexico is. Um, I think we're also the capital for um, vortexes of energy. And so we see, we meet, we have a lot of seekers here seeking some kind of, of spiritual connection to the world around them. And New Mexico, if you've never been here, it's like blue skies, like bright, bright blue skies, like over 300 days a year, white puffy clouds, beautiful vistas. Um, we're in the valley in Albuquerque, but we're high desert, meaning we're in like 6,000 uh, feet and we're surrounded by rocks, by huge mountains. Um, and as a Navajo person, I am Dineh from the Navajo Nation, which covers the states of Arizona, Utah, New Mexico. Some of the mountains that are near Albuquerque are actually a part of our four sacred mountains. So for me, it's like we would want to start in this neighborhood, um, and I always say Old Town because, again, Old Town has this sort of romantic idea of what the Southwest is and what New Mexico is. And so much of it is true, and yet so much of it is also conflicting because there's a little bit of historicalization, and ro the romanticism often doesn't really illustrate the reality and the truth of how Albuquerque was built and why I say Tewalans is because uh, this is unceded territory of the Sandia Pueblo, and it is a fast-growing community. And I'm 
happy to call this my home. Um, however, I do acknowledge as a Navajo person, this is also Pueblo land. And living in Old Town, which has just been a tourist hotspot for so long, we start here because it's where I live, but we also start here kind of with that preface because we are walking on grounds that people have walked on and built economies of scale for thousands of years. And so we would meet at my house, which is a strange 1906 brick building. And if you're familiar with the West, everything is pretty much ancient if you're built over 100 years ago, because everything yep. was built in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So my house is old brick, definitely from the East Coast, and frankly is um, an anomaly. But then we would then go for a walk because where we live is right next to the Bosque River. And the Bosque River has so many histories and stories, but we would walk to the Bosque. And that's where we would begin our conversation is I would take you from Old Town past my house and then down to the river. And that is one of the other incredible things about living here is not only being surrounded by mountains, but you can walk to the river and be along probably one of the most powerful rivers in our state, but also I think a perfect example of the importance of water to this place. And also it really shines that the river itself was where communities were built. And this was pre-colonization through colonization to today. And along that river, there's so many sacred sites to it and stories, but it's also a place where people go running and biking and a place to connect to nature. And so we would begin there and we would see the Brown River because it is very brown coming down from the mountains. Um, but we would get you would get a sense of what the true uh, flora and fauna is here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the joy of being next to a cool river in the middle of summer. So that's where we would start. I can't wait to come and go on that journey with you. I cannot wait for you to come and we can take that walk. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Thank you. Vanessa, I'm not going to... There's an elephant in the room. System is pretty broken. You and I have talked about this through a conversation at Zabrosi Night. You're obviously very active, very vocal about the change that needs to happen from where you're sitting what is wrong with how a lot of the wicked problems in the world are currently being addressed? What are people not getting right? You know, I think the biggest problem with the system is the system has been allowed to participate and be the only system that we operate within, particularly in the United States, which is a system of capitalism, uh, which was really coming from a worldview that doesn't actually thrive and really live not only in the United States, but globally. Yeah. So the systems in which we're participating, we're actively trying to, to address and be a part of is the fact that it has been an encouraged dynamic where there are not just winners and losers, but the winners not only just win, they continue to tamp down, destroy and build on top of these losses with this belief that there is infinite resource to be extracted. Mm -hmm. There's infinite resource to be taken. All of this has occurred for the last 100 years and has accelerated in the last 30 years. And what we're seeing is here in the United States, our global greenhouse gas emissions has like nearly tripled. And yet we're still <laughs> seeing 
our inability to create strong policies to address those systems and the climate crisis that everyone is finally acknowledging is just it's it's the larger symptom of runaway capitalism and unfettered individualistic goals and practices. Uh, we have lost our way to acknowledging that we all live and belong together as all living beings do. And that's just not humans, but, you know, the plants, the animals, <laughs> the water. Um, and so that disconnect, that lack of balance is exactly where that systems work has to not only change, but completely be reimagined. I couldn't agree more. I think we have centered our current system and our approach to problem solving so much around white voices that I'm curious to hear from you how you think we might do it differently going forward. What does this look like of reimagining the systems? How how might we start? The first start is acknowledging that I think here, well, I would actually honestly globally for the fact that the global majority are people of color, meaning non-Western European folks, are the, the largest population across the globe. And yet our systems of capital and our systems of decision making and worldview is Eurocentric, is very a Western white worldview of the world. However, if we actually looked at other worldviews, and I'm thinking more about the indigenous worldview, in that worldview, we acknowledge there's a plurality of beliefs and that your lived experience can be absolutely different from mine. And yet in that difference, we can coexist because that is part of a broader ecosystem of acknowledging that we're all going to be coming from a different place. And your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. And it, those, those seemingly contradictory ways of thinking under the Western worldview can't exist. But within an indigenous worldview, we don't only acknowledge it can exist, we want it to exist. And so I spend a lot of my time in these conversations with community members, um, a lot of non-Native and Indigenous people pushing to the fact that we always start from a place in which we center that worldview as just fact and truth. But what if we started from a different place? What if we actually started from a, a different worldview? And I would propose as an Indigenous person in an Indigenous worldview, where we actually begin with things that start with that knowledge is holistic and cyclical, and that our connection to living and non, non-living beings and entities is important. There are many truths, and all those truths are dependent upon your individual experience, that everything is alive, all things are equal, that the land is sacred, that the relationship between people in the spiritual world is incredibly important. And that lastly, human beings are the least important in the entire world. And that came from Leanne Simpson, who is a renowned indigenous scholar. She's a member of the Alderville First Nations community. And she articulated these seven principles from a place that she could find, but as a Navajo person, in my own teachings, this resonates so clearly because we don't start the day with what am I going to do for myself? It is how am I going to step into the world today with the goals of creating balance and harmony in my life so the world around me has balance and harmony. And that's like a morning practice. But it's this idea that we work every day as living beings to write and lift the imbalance that we see around us. 
it's really flipping the script from going out into the world, assuming that everything revolves around me and I can just go and do whatever in, into thinking, oh, well, hold on a minute. I am part of this huge, bigger context and I'm a very small part. And this context is not just other people, but it's nature, living things, things that don't live. And, and what role do I want to play and how do I want to show up in that system to make a difference? That's very, I like that flip. I think that yeah. um, a lot of the conversations I've had in this season, that was my main takeaway is stop making yourself so important. Realize that you're really just <laughs> one small piece <laughs> in this wider context, which is actually a relief, I find. Because, you know, we're not gonna, we don't wear capes and, and we're not that kind of change maker or systems leader who wants to go in and raise a flag and go rah, rah, rah in front of everybody. It's, it actually takes a very different kind of person to show up in systems and, and be effective. Well, it does because this isn't about one person saving us <laughs> or mm -hmm. a handful of folks who are going to solve everyone's problems. This is, this is how are we willing to take responsibility beyond ourselves and how are we willing to decenter us and make make the purpose about the community the moment we move from an individual's impact to community impact is where systems change happens it doesn't happen at a one person level it doesn't happen because Vanessa Roanhorse is running around town talking about these things However, it is an opportunity to start and inspire the conversation so that when others are ready to talk about this, it's, it's starting to happen. I spend a lot of time thinking about this continuation of let's have celebrity culture, let's put hero ship on folks, and they will be our new talking heads. I'm in a place in my career right now where I'm trying to figure out what, what does it mean to start to transition from the I to the we, and what does it mean when we talk about systems change from a different worldview where we don't expect to see the systems change in our lifetime, but we hope that the things we're doing today will be our great-grandchildren's lifetime. When we can do that, the relief that you can breathe and that we can like have more people enter into this feels possible. And what also feels possible for me about this worldview is by decentering the self and putting everything first before you, you immediately acknowledge the finite resource of the world and that like it isn't about winner takes all. Vanessa, how is this reflected in the work that you're doing with Roan Horse Consulting? You strike me as someone who practices what she preaches. I think your busy schedule and calendar speak volumes for how needed these conversations are and how much work there is to be done. Can you give us a sense for, for what this looks like in practice through the work that you're doing? Thank you for asking. Roanhorse Consulting is my company. I started it six years ago. Long story long is I started it not to actually have it for six years. It was a solution for the moment at the time as a young, as a new mother, not young, because I wasn't a young mom, as a new <laughs> mother and uh, returning from living away from the Four Corners, my sort of ancestral lands for a long time, coming back here with him and my husband. 
and realizing that I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Roan Horse Consulting kind of became this sort of Hail Mary last minute thing. And six years later, I will say it has been the journey of starting that company that has inspired me to do the work I do today because I hit every major roadblock every entrepreneur hits. (laughs) (laughs) And then on top of that, I hit new roadblocks as an Indigenous woman trying to build something that didn't look like everything else, that actually wanted to be focused on centering all of our work on those most vulnerable and most impacted first. We talked a lot about power in the beginning to the work we do now, which is what we call building power in place through using our Indigenous worldview and lens by trying to recenter these systemic problems, but from a different place, which is not with the funder, the policymaker, or the government official. It's by saying, yes, we would like to do that. However, let's start with who we're trying to serve. And let's ask them, do you need to be served? And I think those Mm -hmm. fundamental shifts in how we tackle these problems really just came from not only my Navajo upbringing and my own desire to be seen as an individual, but also the fact that like, I also am have been vulnerably (laughs) impacted my whole life. My family lives on the reservation and I have seen what mining from uranium and coal has done directly to not only my people, but to my own grandfather and my uncle and how they they themselves tried to build wealth, but it was all impossible under the ways in which capitalism and extractive industries work. And so Rome Horse Consulting is really been my joy and my heart work, and it's also become a calling. It's not a job. And I'm proud to say in the six years, I've learned how to run a company, good or bad, (laughs) but also that I'm finally able to bring in folks to join me to do this work so that we can start to ask the question of how does this, how does Roan Horse Consulting become a we versus an I, because Mm -hmm. we now have a platform for others to enter to do this work of using the Indigenous worldview and frameworks that we're developing to tackle some of the most complex challenges. And we do it again by centering those who are most impacted. There are so many follow-up questions I have. First off, <laughs> I think towards the end of 2021, I heard about you getting some award or other almost like once a month. And I was like, I what is Vanessa doing? This is amazing. <laughs> You're getting so much airtime. How did that feel, knowing that you've been doing this work for so much longer and finally there was hopefully a bit of an upswing of people recognizing the work, wanting to acknowledge, wanting to support it? How has that impacted how you can work and how you can drive change? You know, on a personal level, it was such a relief to finally be seen. I'm not going to lie, like even today I have a few other events that I need to be a part of. And I still question my expertise. I still question, am I the right person to be here? So it felt, and it continues to be wonderful to just be seen and heard and to have these concepts and ideas validated. And I think for us in our work, we have continued to build and do the kinds of projects that inspire us as a team. Mm -hmm. Um, The recognition and the awards 
ensures that we can continue to be in that driver's seat. And as a colleague of ours likes to say, our point of view as Indigenous people and as people of color who are actively trying to reimagine a future economy and a future place that brings health and wealth together, those types of accolades and opportunities give us the space to not only say it, but to go out and do it. And I think that's been one of the greatest gifts. The biggest thing that happened for me, though, has been the acknowledgement and recognition from my my Indigenous peers. You know, I don't have a traditional educational background. I'm baptism by fire. I learned things on the on the run. And so it has been so wonderful to hear that the things I've been seeing and the things I've been thinking about are also other leaders and folks who I have so much admiration for have been as well. I'm also inspired continually by the ways in which people share their stories. And so this past year has been a wonderful moment in which I see the rise of Indigenous ways of being and thinking happening, not just here in the United States and where I'm at in the Southwest, but um, across Turtle Island in the North America. And honestly, I see it happening and growing quickly in um, other parts of the world, New Zealand and Australia. Australia just released this incredible port report on, on gender lens investing. And in it, they talk about First Peoples and how we have to bring First Peoples into these discussions beyond just the, oh, you exist, therefore we're going to ask you some questions, but your design principles and how you approach problem solving is actually crucial to how we not only address the gender lens crisis, but the climate crisis as well. And that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, yes, yes, we we have been here for thousands and thousands of years. We are ready to teach. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you want to learn more about ecosystem building, hop over to socialventurers.com, where I've been sharing my insights into the field for the last two years. Every two weeks, I lovingly curate the best insights, highlights from the show, resources, and events. If you want those delivered straight to your inbox every two weeks, along with a healthy reminder that your work matters, sign up for Impact Curator. And now, back to the show. I don't know yet how I want to ask this next question, but I'm sensing, I'm sensing something here where if you're trying to change the current system with a, a different approach, with a more indigenous wisdom approach to how else we might look at the world and how we solve problems, I imagine that makes you popular in a lot of rooms and not so popular in a lot of other rooms. What are some of the hardest parts for you in doing this work? And having these conversations over and over again, trying to convince people, what is that thing that saps your energy the most? So funny, because at the last of the last end of the question you asked before, or the comment I was providing, I was like, we are here, we are ready to teach. And as soon as I said it, I was like, I was like oh, however. <laughs> I wish I hadn't committed to this. <laughs> <laughs> however, to answer this part of the question. We are here and excited to bring what we know and how we think in this worldview and these practices and the way we address problem solving and systems design. However, 
where I am most exhausted by is, and I'm going to speak from an American point of view because I, I want to be respectful and, and whatnot mm-hmm. of other, other communities across the globe. But in it, from an American perspective, I am exhausted and tired of folks coming to us with all of these questions and having done no work, having done no research, not having read any books. And I have to start from a place where it's just a simple of, you just don't know the history of this country and shame on you. Like, why are we starting from a point in which I have to spend more time doing labor to educate you on just the history, not only of how this country was founded, but how land was stolen, how wealth was built, and then provide the additional labor of helping you understand the way tribal nations and sovereignty works and how and why treaties and uh, territories exist through colonization. And yet I'm still requested and asked to be gracious about that education when I've had to go through that education on my own. And I know the history of the United States because I was taught it from the time I could remember. And so that's the part that's really exhausting is the, the sort of the hubris <laughs> that we're here to educate you from that basic level of history and the hubris of assuming that um, we as a Navajo person, I can speak for the other 570 plus federally recognized tribes, the 200 plus state recognized tribes and the hundreds of other unrecognized tribes in the United States, that my ability to provide a monolith response is exhausting. And so those are the types of things I get very tired of. I also will say the other one is um, individuals who want to reach out and want me to participate and be part of some committee or advisory, but have no real idea of like, what is it they want me to contribute? It's just great that I'm suddenly they can say they have Native American or Indigenous representation. And that unfortunately happens still regularly to, to this day. I feel this very strongly because even when we talked about you coming onto the show and having this conversation, you were very upfront about the fact that people ask you about this all the time. And Mm -hmm. there is only so much you are able to give reasonably before you're giving more than you get, let's be honest. And, And really, we're putting a lot of pressure on you to carry that load for a lot of us to, instead of us going out and doing the research and learning and being curious, we can't just come in and expect a history lesson from you and and to be brought up to speed because we can't be bothered doing it on our own. So thank you for making the time for this conversation so we can hopefully uh, use this as a starting point to move forward, which leads to my next question, Vanessa. What can others do to even just start entering this conversation? What are what are some of the first steps that you wish everybody would take to be aware of the conversation and think about systems change? You know, I always recommend folks to actually start with where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, whose land are you on? What's the history of how that land was acquired? Where are there indigenous people doing cool indigenous things? Because guaranteed they are, like guaranteed. So that's like one way from a very local perspective, just to start to one stop, just so that we as, as a people in the United States stop assuming that we don't exist, 
sort of the invisibilization and historicalization of Native people is probably one of the most dangerous things that have happened to us, is folks either just assume we're all gone and so we can only be romanticized, or we're historicalized in the sense that people people can only respect and understand us from this like very dances with wolves experience versus the fact that like we are modern people creating AR and VR experiences. We are like building rocket ships at NASA, <laughs> you know, like we are, we are everywhere building the future. And yet people still think of us as folks sitting alongside you know, a road selling our jewelry or doing dances for them at celebrations at a, at a, you know, a fair. So those are really critical because I think that's just, that's just a systems mind change of, of how you think of native people in the United States and probably globally, but for here, for sure. In terms of the work we do around um, really future economy thinking and where are we trying to go my recommendation is there's tons of new literature coming out that's just so fantastic. Caroline Hinton has a book called Indigenomics, um, you know, getting a seat at the table. She is from Canada First Nations, and uh, that book is just one of the first books that really uses an Indigenous worldview to talk about risk valuation and the economy from a place that uh, is just so accessible and so reachable that I really encourage folks to read it. The other thing I encourage people to understand is if you're ever going to work with Indigenous people and Indigenous communities in whatever capacity, you have to understand first and prior consent, which is so critical about how you actually engage with Native people on their lands. Um, it's part of the United Nations um, work with the Indigenous Peoples Declaration that they came up with that I completely butchered, but it's the UN DRIP for short. <laughs> um, and just reading that as a foundational piece and understanding um, first and prior former informed consent will allow people who are trying to understand what Indigenous people have to deal with and how we are constantly put in these positions of uh, vulnerability and tokenization, these documents are there to ensure that we are properly engaged and that when we are being engaged, we acknowledge not only the sovereignty, but what has happened to all of us globally. And this is something that the United Nations has been developing for the last 20 years with Native and Indigenous and Aboriginal and First Nations people across the world. Um, so between things like indigenomics, uh, between things like the UN DRIP and understanding these processes, they're just basic documentation. And, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. However, this tip of the iceberg is so critical uh, because once you understand those basic ways of engagement, the opportunities to not just tokenize or have people on your committee's advisories expands exponentially. Suddenly you see that the worldview and the values that we need to be approached with is so critical. And the last thing I want to add, which is so important to me here in the United States, for example, um, right now, 30% of all of the nation's coal is actually west of the Mississippi. And as much as 50% of the remaining uranium reserves and natural gas, 20% and oil reserves are on native lands. 
So when we talk about a future economy, we're going to have to talk about net zero and we're going to have to talk about reducing greenhouse gas emissions if we're going to survive, period. So whatever financial decisions that are being made out in the investment world, this is the kind of information that is so critical. So so how are you going to get the energy that we need if the most of the remaining resources are still on indigenous lands? Because we don't mind. We're not extracting our own resources for the most part. Um, but that's just in a statistic that reminds me, if you don't understand how to engage with us, and we are the ones stewarding some of the last remaining energy resources, and Native Indigenous people are at the helm of the renewable markets, you are gonna be late to the game if we're not gonna be able to co-collectively solve this problem. Because Indigenous people with or without the help are going to figure this out. <sighs> Wonderful. Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> you talk, I had to take a deep breath because these are some really big questions. We're talking, I mean, just the magnitude of what you just touched on from renewable energy, economics, world energy markets, the climate crisis. These are really big issues. And you are one person who is trying to build a team around you, which I'm more power to you. How do you make sure you don't get overwhelmed? How are you able to sleep at night knowing how much is in, in disarray and in chaos? Well, I mean, so we started earlier talking a little bit about the worldview. And like, if you have that worldview and you can like every morning, like I said, in my Navajo ways, wake up and say, okay, what am I, what can I do today? And what can I do to make sure I'm balancing what this is with the world around me? That's powerful. I'm not saying it works every time, but it's powerful because I'm reminded I'm not here to solve the world's problems. I'm here. I'm here as one piece of a larger network, as a larger sort of, you know, route to the full connectivity across the world. Yeah. That's talking and asking and pushing for these conversations or these these discussions or these ideas. I'm also greatly comforted by the fact that not only am I not alone, you know, we have folks telling the story like you are Annika with this podcast. We have organizations um, like my um, sister organization, Native Women Lead, that's pushing for more Native women businesses and founders to receive the type the right type of resource resources and capital so they can launch these businesses which these are the businesses we truly believe are going to address the gender and climate crisis yeah. um, and so we can see those organizations moving we have incredible thinkers and thought workers like you know Caroline Hinton and this is just a handful of people but the comfort for me is, Nobody should expect I'm going to solve any of these problems, mm -hmm. but everyone should expect that I will be here for the work. And I think that's comforting. I have moments, usually when I look at my eight-year-old son, but then I look at him and I say, thank God, because we're, we're in good hands when he grows up. That's wonderful. Thank you, <laughs> Vanessa. Yeah. Woo. As this one person, as this one piece of the larger collective, if you will, what needs to be in place for you to do this work sustainably for 
you know, pave the way for the next generation to take over those reins and continue the work. How do you specifically recharge and make sure you're not burning the candle on both ends? Because obviously you could work all day and and still, (laughs) you know, never solve for everything. So what does that, what does that recharging look like for you? You know, I um, am only learning how to do that now. I am Mm -hmm. 44 years old. I spent most of my life just, you know, working and throwing myself into it. Now, you know, there is very simple things. I mean, this is stuff that (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say works. But uh, going for walks every day has become so critical to, like, my quiet time and my space. Mm -hmm. And that is really replenishing. Being close to my family and home is really replenishing. Um, And I'm very lucky. I have an organization in which uh, we are all indigenous from someplace and everyone on the team brings their whole selves and indigeneity around this justice work without any fears. And so I get to be every day with a group of people where we are our full selves and we can we can turn it off when we need to. We can call in um, time off, and I can say that because I'm the boss, and that's what we have done. But I'm also proud to say that that process has been really regenerative. Is watching my own team realize that like work can look different, expectations don't have to be what we've been told, mm-hmm. and that you matter first. And the work will always be here. And that's why I keep going back to that. Like, we are going to solve the world's problems in my lifetime. And I will not be the person to to be to solve it. And I think that gives a lot of people the space in the room to breathe. And for me as now a business owner and now uh, people who trust me, <laughs> yeah. um, it gives me a certain amount of like relief. But, you know, at the end of it, what we also need is... We need to move away from this like uh, belief that companies like ours, and we're not the only ones, don't need help, don't need patient capital, don't need mm-hmm. um, the kind of like nonprofit support that organizations get. I don't know at what point we've all just assumed because you're for profit, um, you don't get the same opportunities versus when we are building what I it's so much more than socially responsible companies. We are yeah. building what I think, and I think you are, I think so many of us in this network are trying to do this. We're trying to build companies that reflect our values that are here to heal in some ways ourselves, and then ultimately be a healing place for our clients, our staff, and then finally for like the earth that we're living on. And so I'm just, I'm tired of how capital flows. And I think strangely, because of the work we get to do, it gives me the regeneration that I need to know it's possible. And I get to work with people I like. Like, that's a real gift. (laughs) That goes a long way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What a wonderful note to almost end on. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think working with people you like is important and will refill your cup. And that is something I have enjoyed through a lot of the conversations I had through Zebos Unite is talking to people who don't take 
the the templates, the blueprints that have been in place for granted, but are actually brave enough to think outside the box and redefine work, redefine how a business is run, redefine how teams work together. So I personally hope I'm going to be around long enough to see the early fruits of your labor and see how how all that is starting to make a difference and, you know, which other allies will will link their arms and, and join forces with a lot of the work that you're already doing. Thank you. Before we get to our final round, Vanessa, I want to let our listeners know that they can connect with you at roanhorseconsulting.com and they can reach out to you through the form on the website. You also have a really strong social media presence. So Roan Horse Consulting uh, is where you all can find Vanessa and learn more about her work. All right, Vanessa, rapid fire round. I'm going to give you three sentences that you can finish for me. How does that sound? Sounds good. Perfect. First question. Systems thinking is? Systems thinking is being able to move between the 30,000 foot and being able to translate it at the grassroots level. Wonderful. Thank you. A systems thinker everyone should know about is? I'm trying to think of a good one. I'm going to say um, Rodney from Common Future. Wonderful. Yeah. I'll make sure I put links to all of these organizations and resources into the show notes so people can follow up. Lastly, one resource that influenced you so much that you would recommend it to everyone who's listening today. Indigenomics by Carol Ann I said it already. Uh, read that. And then if I need to say a second one, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass. <gasps> You yes, love that book. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, it was very unassuming when I picked it up and I fell in love with it. It was one of those books that I just started reading more slowly and more slowly because I didn't want it to end. It's so good. I think I, I moved between Braiding Sweetgrass and then How I Show Up by Mia Birdsong when I need grounding. Yep. For sure. Vanessa, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you took the time to talk to us today, to share your experiences and views on how we should shift the system and move forward. And I hope that after this podcast episode, you will have a lot more accomplices who want to join forces and support the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being here today. Annika, thank you so much for the invitation. It's always a joy to be with you. Be sure to find out more about Vanessa's work at rowanhorseconsulting.com. I pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Tuscarora, Shokori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbee, and Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.